Uh, so once again, thank you for being here. Tonight, we're going to be studying uh, the book of John, John chapter 14. If you have your Bibles, go ahead and open up to that section. John chapter 14, and we're going to start off at verse 1. Now, while you're doing that, let me kind of get you up to speed. Now, you may have noticed over the past few weeks, or if you're familiar with this part of the book of John, things are really starting to pick up uh, for Jesus and the disciples. Over the past few years leading up to this, they'd been traveling around the countryside, preaching, teaching, doing lots of miracles, bringing people to God. A lot of great things are happening. Now, now this is the part of the story where we're getting close for the time for Jesus to be arrested, crucified. We know this part of the story. It's good news for us, right? Because that's where we get our salvation. For the disciples, for his immediate followers, this is a very, very scary time. They don't always understand exactly what's about to transpire. There's a ton of stuff happening. It feels like the world's crashing in around them. Um, as far as being uh, in Jerusalem, for the past few years, they've just been a little bit of a nuisance to the religious authorities. But now time has come where they are full-on troublemakers for the religious authorities. They're watching them everywhere they go. They can feel the heat, so to speak. It's a very scary time. And let's be honest, anytime the religious authorities are also have governmental control and you are against them or they feel you're a threat, that is a much bigger problem. And that's what's happening at this point. So now the disciples have a lot of distress. They're, they're very scared. And so now this is how Jesus starts out the conversation, to speak with them. This is what he says first, verse 1. Very simple. He says, do not let your hearts be troubled. Now, again, this is what's interesting. Jesus is the one who just said this. This is the man that they saw walk on water, right? They were out in the Sea of Galilee, way out there. It wasn't along the shore where maybe he was standing on a tree stump. Way out there. And he walked to them. They saw him heal people, someone who was blind, someone who was lame, cure diseases, all kinds of stuff. And being around him at that time, seeing him do those miracles would have been phenomenal. I mean, can you imagine how much good that would have felt to your cause and what you're doing? And now it's the exact opposite. Now their world is crashing in around them. And Jesus is trying to allay their fears and say, do not be troubled. He's saying, listen, there's reason to be scared. I understand that but don't be troubled. Another way to translate that is you could say, it's like he was saying, put your hearts at ease. I know there's reason for your hearts to be troubled, but I want you to put them at ease. But to be fair to the disciples, let's do a quick recap of why they're so afraid, specifically. Jesus had just told them one of their own, one of the fellow disciples was a traitor, and he was going to turn against Jesus. We're talking about Judas, right? They had, he just explained that to them. He also told them he was going to be leaving them tonight. He was going to be gone. And where he was going, they could not come. And then Peter, one of the stronger disciples, stands up and says, well, why can I come with you? Why can't I come with you? And then he, to, to demonstrate how loyal he felt he, he thought he was, he says, Lord, I would die for you. I would die for you, Jesus. And then what does Peter say, or what does Jesus say in response to Peter? He says, before the rooster crows, you you are going to deny me three times. You're going to deny that you ever knew me, had anything to do with me. So this is the tension in the room. Can you kind of feel where it's going? There's a lot going on. And on top of that, Jesus told them, I'm leaving you tonight. And where I'm going, you can't come with it. Now, Jesus also being the true leader, the true shepherd that he was, he's trying to comfort their hearts and remind them there's something bigger at stake. There's a bigger picture 
right? So as we read, as now as we get a little further and read what Jesus says, keep in mind where the disciples are at. Kind of put yourself in their shoes. This is what he says. It's the rest of verse 1 and verse 2. He says, you believe in God, believe also in me. He says, my Father's house has many rooms. If that were not so, what I have told you, that I'm going there to prepare a place for you. So Jesus actually starts off with a statement. It's not a, it's not a question. It's a statement of fact. He says, you believe in God. Everything going on tonight, you still believe in him. I want you to start putting that kind of faith in me, that confidence in me. Trust me. Everything that you trust in God for, you can trust in me. And you should have faith because something bigger is at stake here. And he continues. He says, this is really remarkable. They're worried about the immediate right now. He says, listen, in my father's house, and he's talking about heaven, it has many, many rooms. And if that weren't so, would I tell you that I'm going there to prepare a place for you? And that's amazing. He, let's be honest. He could have given them earthly reasons to not be afraid, right? He could, and this would have been true if he would have said this. He said, listen, the religious authorities, they're after me. I'm going to get arrested, crucified, I'm going to die, but don't worry. You lay low in a couple weeks, you're going to be fine. And that would be true, right? Just lay low. Be cool. Hang out. Disappear. You're going to be fine, guys. But he didn't say that. He took everything straight to heaven. He says, my father's house has rooms, many rooms. I'm going there for the singular purpose to prepare a place for you. This is bigger than what you can imagine. And then notice, he doesn't spend time describing how great it is, right? He says, this is about you. I'm going there to do this for you. He's making this bigger. Now, I also want to pause for a second and mention something about the word room that you may have in your Bible, depending on the uh, translation you have or the version you have. The ancient Greek word there for room is manai, and it actually probably a better translation is dwelling place. It's a dwelling place. That's what it means. Because when we use the word room in modern-day English, it means something very specific, right? I have a bathroom. I have a living room. I have a bedroom. Some of us gentlemen have a man cave, you know, that kind of deal. It's a very specific one singular room. What Jesus is referring to is a dwelling place. Now, I've even seen that uh, they're translated as, a, as mansion. And I'm a little reticent to, to start using the word mansion because, again, in English, what does that mean? It's this huge facility, got six-car garage, manicured lawn. Jesus is not necessarily promising that. But to use the word room kind of is not necessarily, I don't think, is exactly what Jesus meant. He meant a dwelling place. So, again, when we read this stuff, we always want to know what Jesus meant not necessarily what that word means to me in 2022. Make sense? So Jesus is talking about this is way, way bigger, right? Now, after Jesus says he's going to go there and prepare a place for them, he makes it more special. Let's go with verse 3 and 4. He says, if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come back, and I will take you to be with me, that you may also be where I am. And then verse 4, you know the way to the place where I'm going. Okay, so Jesus is not just going to leave them behind and take off and, like, save himself. He's personally going there, again, for a very specific reason, to prepare a place for them. This is personal. This is about them. All right? There's always a greater purpose. There's something bigger going on. Again, we know the story. We have the rest of the Bible. We know what's about to happen. They don't know. What's about to transpire over the next few days is going to rock them to their core. It's basically going to send a, a small group of grown men run into hiding, and that's what's about to happen. 
everything they know is going to blow up. So what he's doing is to, he's asking them to trust them beyond what would normally make sense. And it's very tough to do. Let's be honest. It's very easy right now for all of us to have faith, right? We're in a nice church. Sebastian is a nice, calm community. We have air conditioning, all that kind of stuff, right? But what if we were in, say, Afghanistan, tried to have a Christian church? It was Al-Qaeda and Taliban. and That would be very, very difficult. Faith would be very, very hard, right? So we tend to equate how easy this is with faith. And what Jesus is saying is, listen, I, I know it's hard, and it's going to get harder, but I want you to trust me. I'm going to heaven to prepare a place for you. Jesus has said, yes, I know that. So he's not done reassuring them. There's going to be more. And this is, and quite bluntly, he also says something that is a surprise for them. He says, you know the way to the place where I'm going. Right? Now, without being specific, do we all kind of have an idea of what Jesus means by that? Right? We kind of get that. Now, I want to pause for a moment because the disciples do not know what he means. That room would have gotten dead quiet when Jesus said that. Remember, think of everything that just happened. One of their own is turning against them, working against them. Peter's going to deny him three times. Jesus is going to be arrested and taken away from them. And Jesus said this, you know where I'm going. Now, one of the disciples actually has the guts to speak up. Let's look at verse 5 and see what he says, because this is really going to, this is surprising. Verse 5, Thomas said to him, Lord, we don't know where you are going. So how can we know the way? And he's not talking about a fishing trip. Like, hey, Jesus, hey, I'm going to meet you out in the stick marsh. We don't know where that is. Tell us. These are grown men that are scared for their lives. How would they have said it? We don't know where you're going. How could we know the way? Help us. I mean, this is, their hearts were breaking when they said this. This is a big deal. We don't know the way. He meant all of them when Thomas said that. Notice, none of the other disciples were like, no, 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 no. That's just him. We get it, Jesus. Nobody said anything. They didn't understand. And as things are really starting to fall apart, Jesus is going to lay some heavier stuff on him. And the statement from Jesus that we're going to read next is meant to bring it all together, to help them see the big picture. And you've likely, what, we've, what we're going to read in just a second, you've likely heard it before, you've read it, but this is not one of those phrases, and a lot of people, when you read stuff that Jesus says, they don't always understand the context or who he was talking to. Like what Jesus is about to say, he did not say to a large, adoring crowd. Everybody's like, yes, that's amazing. Wonderful. Right? That's not what happened. Jesus said this to his disciples that just said, we don't know where you're going. We don't get it. Where are you going? It's a lot like... You've all heard the Bible verse from John 3.16, right? Very popular, probably the most popular Bible. For God so loved the world, he gave his only son, right? Most people don't have a good understanding of who Jesus was talking to when he said that. Or what was the scenario? Again, this was not some large crowd. Everybody was like, yes, that's amazing. We get it. What actually happened that night in John 3.16, there was a man named Nicodemus. He was a Pharisee. He was one of the religious authorities. He didn't understand what was going on, so he went out, and he was scared to do this during the daylight, so he went and found Jesus at night in the dark, under the cover of darkness. He went and found Jesus, probably on the outskirts of town, and says, what is going on? I don't get this. I don't understand. So Jesus started to explain things to him. Now, just to put this in perspective, 
if you feel comfortable admitting this here, has anyone been in a situation where you felt uncomfortable to talk to somebody in daylight that you went out after midnight under the cover of darkness to talk to them? Nobody. Anybody here work for the CIA? No? If you do, can you admit it? No, right? But see, that's, the point. that's what happened. This is a grown man in the religious establishment, too scared to do something during the daylight, so he goes at night. That's where John 3.16 came from. It was a discussion between two people. And so this, what we're about to read, the same thing is beautiful from Jesus, but it was said when his disciples were freaking out, scared, terrified. And this is what he says, verses 6 and 7. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you really know me, you will know my Father as well. From now on, you do know him, and you have seen him. Now, this is one of those statements from Jesus that on the surface it sounds great. It is, but it's also highly controversial. It paints Jesus into a corner, and I don't necessarily mean that in the bad way. The verse we just read, specifically verse 6, is one that I use most when I talk to somebody of a different faith, specifically if it was a Muslim, Hindu, Buddhist, because, and I've actually talked to people, this was told to me, as a, a Buddhist man who said, no, 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 always lead to God, always. Think of it like a big tire, like a bike tire. God's at the center, all the spokes lead right to it. See? I said, no. You know why? He says, why? Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one. No one comes to the Father except through me. I didn't say that. Jesus said that. So that means your bike theory is not true because Jesus said that. And I don't say that in an aggressive way. I say that just, this is what he said. And so that's why what Jesus said, it can be controversial because it really paints him in the corner. There is no other way. And it's not because of me. It's not an opinion like I think the Dodgers are better than what I, you know. Jesus said, I am the way. No other, there is no other way. No one comes to the Father except through him. That's why this verse is so particularly good. Now let me get back to our story. So what's interesting is in light of all the problems, the tension in that room, how people are scared, Jesus points to himself and says, I am the way. It's me. I am the truth. I am the life. So in the midst of this storm, there's a paradox. It's just crazy and people are scared. Jesus says, I singularly am the way. In this moment, Jesus directs everything at himself. And when he says, I am the way, he's not saying, I know the way. There's some information I need to give you. He says, I, it's me as a person. When he says, I'm the truth, he's not about to share them some unknown truth, some mystery. It's him in his person. It's about him. And now we can kind of see where Jesus is going with this, right? You kind of get the picture of the, what he's painting overall. Again, we have the Bible. We know how this ends. The disciples in the room still don't fully get it. We like to fill in the blanks and go, oh, yeah, it makes sense. Wonderful story. Let's look at verse 8 and look what Philip says. Philip said, Lord, show us the Father, and that will what? Be enough. Which translates to, yeah, what you just said, that's great. It's not enough. It's not enough. You know what would be enough, Jesus? You know what would be awesome? Show us the Father. Then we'll be okay. So they've gotten all this amazing information, and they're still scared. They still don't understand. And let's be honest. Have, have you ever been in a situation where you're scared? You don't know what's happening. Have you ever prayed the prayer, Lord, if you can just 
If I can just feel your hand, if I can just something, I will feel so much better. Has anybody ever done that? I have, right? That's what the disciples are doing right now. Jesus now, and they have Jesus face to face. They've seen, this is what is so crazy, they've seen him do all the miracles. I mean, who would not love to see Jesus walk on the water and be like, dude, I'm totally sold. Whatever happens, I'm in, right? The world could fall apart. I saw that, and I'm fine. They saw that, and they're not fine. See, and that's why what's so great about some of these stories being in the Bible, we look at the part about Jesus, and that's awesome, we should, we also look at the people around him. How do they respond? Because they're human like us. We like to think that'll never happen. Like I just joked, you know, if I saw Jesus walk in the water, I would never have another doubt. Yeah, that's not true. We need faith, and we need faith in something bigger and something greater. And notice when Philip said that, he said, show us. Again, it's not just him. It's all of them. If the other disciples got it, they'd be like, no, 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 Jesus, we're with you. Right here, right? It's all Philip. No, none of them get it. They're all having problems. What's so great about this is when they're experiencing this storm, when they're the most scared, that's when Jesus wants them to focus on him the most. This is why I need you to trust in me. He's saying, you don't, you don't see the path, I get it. You don't need to know the path. I need you to trust in me. I am the truth, I am the life, I am the way. He's saying this is not how it's going to end. There is more. And that's why Jesus saved this teaching right here to this point. Because Philip, the other disciples, need to hear all this. And you're going to notice Jesus never gets angry with them. I mean, let's be honest, that would be a great time to get irritated, right? Dudes, you saw me walk on water. You saw all this. What do you mean you need more? But he didn't do that, did he? He was patient. He knew their hearts were aching and they were scared. So he turns it right back at himself. Let's look at verse 9. This is how he answered. Jesus answered, don't you know me, Philip, even after I have been among you for such a long time? Anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? So what Jesus is doing, he's making two points. Number one, Philip, you've been with me long enough. You've seen things. You should know. But because you don't know, here's the answer. Everything you've seen me do came from the Father. Absolutely everything I said, everything I ever did, I did because the Father told me. So because you've seen me, because you see me now, you see the Father. I and the Father are one. And then he goes on further, verses 10 and 11. He says, don't you believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? The words I say to you, I do not speak of my own authority. Rather, it is the Father living in me who does the work. So it's the Father that's doing all this. Believe in me when I say, I am in the Father and the Father is in me. Now here's the kicker. This last little sentence that we're going to read. Remember, Jesus is giving him all this big stuff, but he knows they're weak. He knows they're human. So how does he finish it? at least, at the very least, believe in the evidence of the works themselves. So the, he knows they still don't grasp it. They're still not all the way there. So he's saying, listen, you saw the guy who was lame walk. You saw that. Believe at least in that. You saw me walk on the water. You know that is not possible by humans. At least believe in that. 
So he's like, he's throwing them a life vest. At least hold on to the stuff that you saw with your own eyes, that you know to be true. And now, here's where it gets interesting. Now that he's addressed their concerns, or that's what he's trying to do, he's going to take it further. The goal was never for them, like if this is, the, like this is faith, just enough to survive, it never was like to get a C- minus and just squeak right over, right? Just do enough and it'll be fine. It was always much, much higher. The goal was always to follow in Jesus' footsteps, right? That nothing is impossible with him. So let's read what he means now, verses 12 to 14. And it's going to get good. Verily, very truly I tell you, whoever believes in me will do the works that I have been doing. And they will do even greater things than these because I am going to the Father. And I will do whatever you ask in my name so that the Father may be glorified in the Son. You may ask me for anything in my name and I will do it. So this is the point, And I know I keep relaying this, the disciples are just terrified and they want to know that they're going to be okay over the next few days. That's all they want to know. And what did Jesus just say? Think of everything that you saw me do. Every miracle. You are going to do that and more. This is not about you surviving over the next couple days. This is not about being scared. You don't know what's... You don't understand. Everything you saw me do, you are going to do more. You're not going to just survive. You are going to thrive. My church is going to continue and continue around the world. You are now the carriers of the gospel. You are going to do so much more. So he's raising the roof exponentially on everything. He's raising the bar. In the disciples' minds, again, remember, they're, just, they're grasping for security. But he's saying, this is why I chose you. This is your time now. You're going to carry this farther. What you've seen me do, you're going to do more of. And for that to happen means they are going to make it. And they're going to have faith. Everything's going to get better for them. He's saying, you haven't seen anything yet. This is the scene that he's painting. And also within that is a promise. If you stay strong, there's so much more you are going to do. So it's ironic, if you think about it, they have to be on the, earth, on the edge of what they see as failure and losing everything and being terrified in order to blossom and achieve greatness. But if you think about it, and having experience like this, it's true. For example, if you, if you pray, if anyone here prays for stronger faith and pray earnestly, God is going to put you in opportunities to grow your faith. He, it's not like getting a winning lottery ticket where suddenly you have tons of faith. You have to do anything. If you pray for courage, he's going to put you in situations that need courage to stay strong. And your courage is going to grow. And that's what he's doing for the disciples. I mean, read the Bible. You're going to see that people were put through all kinds of situations. Another way to think of it in contemporary terms is, what if we all here wanted to be like the best baseball player ever? Like, bam, the best. Let's say God granted that to us. Are we going to go down to Barber Street and play Little League and just crush them every time? All right? Or what are you going to do? You're going to go play in the major leagues. You're going to go up against the best of the best because that's what you do. 
And so that's what Jesus is calling for these people, to step out. So asking for faith or courage means God is going to put you in situations where he needs you to have those things. Otherwise, it's not really faith. It's not really courage. So Jesus is telling the disciples to remain strong. There is more to come. And by enduring, they are going to get everything they need. Now, the other thing Jesus says is verses 13 and 14. He says, I will do whatever you ask in my name so that the Father may be glorified in the Son. Ask me for anything in my name and I will do it. Now, that statement needs a little clarification because there are some people that believe that and think it's a blank check. Like the prosperity gospel, that name it, claim it. I claim a Ferrari. Right? That is not what Jesus is talking about. Jesus never intended to give us free reign and do whatever we want. That's not what it is. He said, I will grant whatever you ask in my name so that the Father may be glorified in the Son. And to glorify means to worship, praise, honor, and hold in very high regard. So what Jesus said is, I will give you what you ask for if it's in line with what I've already been doing, to glorify God, to bring people closer. Whatever is in line with his character, his teachings, the way he lived his life. Here's a very good contemporary example of that. Let's say we all have someone in our neighborhood, someone we know who is truly lost. I mean lost. If you earnestly pray to God, if you pray from your heart, that he would open up an opportunity for you to reach that person so they would know Jesus Christ, he will grant you that opportunity. That's what this is about. Now, here's the thing. He may not provide that opportunity in a way you think it's an opportunity. You may have, here's the great way. We both love to golf. We're going to go golfing sometime. Boom, that's it. Who knows how he's going to work? And he may work in his time. But his opportunity is an opportunity for you to grow as well. It happens many times in the Bible. He's going to ask you to step out of your comfort zone. Here's an awesome example that happened in the Bible. It's one of the best. It's in Acts chapter 9. There's a man named Ananias. He's described as a disciple of God. He's a good guy. The Lord speaks to Ananias in a vision. He says, I want you to go down to a street called Straight. Straight Street, like Main Street? It's called Straight Street. Yeah, there's a house, and in this house, you're going to meet a man named Saul of Tarsus. I want you to lay hands on him, pray for him. He's going to receive his sight. I have a lot of stuff I need this guy to do. Now, that sounds awesome, right? If you were Ananias, you'd be like, Fabulous. I would love to give somebody their sight back, right? Love that. Be a part of that. Problem is, Ananias goes, do you know who that Saul of Tarsus is? That's the guy that goes around town to town finding Christians, of which I'm one, throws them in jail or just has them killed. Is there a chance you got your lines crossed and mean another guy? It's exactly, read it. Acts 9, that's exactly, ah, you sure? God says, I'm sure. This is the guy. I want you to go. I want you to trust me. Remember, if we started a church in Afghanistan and there was a member of Al-Qaeda and God came to you in a vision and said, I want you to go to his house. How many people like, totally. <laughs> How many people like, uh, I think you got that mistaken. He wants to kill me. Right? But that's what happened. There's an opportunity, and God says, I want you to trust me. So Ananias trusts God, and he goes. He prays for 
for Saul. Saul gets his sight back. Saul goes on to do great things. And just so you know, Saul's name was eventually changed to Paul. Anybody heard the name Paul? If you got your Bible with you, hold it up real quick. The majority of that New Testament, the majority of that bad boy in the New Testament was written by him. So the majority of the New Testament was written because a guy named Ananias initially said, are you sure? I think he wants to kill me. And God says, no, I want you to trust me. And he went. So God works through his opportunities in his ways. And just like the disciples, just like Ananias, they were scared. Like Jesus says, I want you to stay strong. I want you to trust me. I am the way, the truth, and the life. So he was training his disciples to take this message further, even when they felt scared, even when they couldn't see the end. Now, this is where this matters to us. This is why this story is in the Bible. Jesus is the, the way, the truth, and the life. He is all three of those things, whether it's raining, whether it's sunshine, whether we're here in this beautiful church, or whether we're in Afghanistan trying to start a church. Is he not? He calls us to do more because he is the way, the truth, and the life. And we here, this is 100% true, we here exist. We are in this building, in this church worshiping today because the disciples stayed strong. And they took that message a little bit at a time, out from Jerusalem, a little farther, a little farther, went to what's modern-day Turkey, and they eventually slowly made their way across Europe, eventually it came to the United States to we're here. So we are here because they stayed strong and carried that gospel. So in a minute, we're going to pray. If anybody here has not accepted Jesus Christ as their Savior, we're going to give you that opportunity because we always, above all, want to make his name known. Okay? So when I say this prayer, all I have you to do is say the prayer to yourself quietly. What you say is between you and God, but we want to make sure you have that opportunity. What we're also going to do is in this prayer... We're going to pray for God to use us individually and as a church, to use us the way he sees fit, not in necessarily easy ways with slow pitches down the middle, but in difficult ways, to open opportunities wherever he sees fit, okay? Let's bow our heads and let's pray. Father, I believe in your son, Jesus Christ. I believe he died on the cross for my sins, and I believe that you raised him from the dead. Today I ask Jesus to come into my life and to make me new. I ask him to forgive me, to save me, and to guide my steps for the rest of my life. Father, today, individually and as a church, we ask you to use us as you see fit. We ask you to give us work to do. And we aren't asking just for the easy work, but for the difficult work as well. Send us out to reach the people most in need, the most lost, and those who most need the light of your son Jesus. Father, we thank you for all the blessings that we have, the very life you've given us. We thank you for the church that has endured to this time. Most of all, Father, we thank you for sending your son Jesus Christ, who is our great hope. And it's in his name we ask all these things. Amen. Amen.